Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Welcome back to The Messy Truth, Conversations on Photography. In this episode, I'm chatting to the brilliant Coco Capitan. Coco is known for her hybrid practice that is constantly evolving. She's crafted an incredible career across fashion and art in which she uses photography, painting, writing and design to animate her ideas which are rooted in personal experiences. She's committed to exhibition and bookmaking and has shown her work around the world. Her practice is one that is truly intuitive and lives free from the boundaries of genre and expectations. Making is a therapeutic act for Coco, a space for imagining, a conduit for possibility and reflection. I wanted to start off by talking about your diary and and about writing, because you've told me before that that's kind of the root of everything for you. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit about how writing is this kind of frame for your creative process. Um, Yeah. So uh, as you say, writing is very important for me. And I think I've been doing this uh, with this. I mean, writing for myself since I probably learned to write uh, pretty much. So um, I used to have these notebooks uh, when I was a kid. Uh, I think I, I, I still have one of the first ones. I think I started it uh, when I was 11. And I love making these notebooks. I will write on them. It wasn't necessarily the diary uh, format. It was just a pad where I could like write my thoughts, but also, you know, uh, put a stickers, postcards, um, do some crops of things I saw in magazines and, and just put it there. I will even, um, sometimes I will give my notebook diary to some of my friends and I will ask them to use them as their notebook for a couple of weeks or something like that. 
Um, I think that was something very special. I haven't done that in a really long time. At that moment in time, I never really thought of my notebooks or my writing as an art form. It was something I just did for myself. And I think through the years, I just, you know, I started uh, art school and, and then my notebooks took a um, different form. When I was younger, I used to write like many pages and my writing was really messy. And at some point, I decided to start writing in capitals, perhaps because it was easy to under, easier to understand. Sometimes I will go back into my notebooks and I wouldn't even understand my own writing. And I started to just write, you know, uh, more minimal thoughts, which then became my aphorism. With minimal thoughts, I just... Um, I just mean, you know, more condensed information, not all these pages and pages. And yeah, and then, you know, from there, I went into writing about my ideas and I still doing, keep doing that today. Uh, you know, sometimes I, I write down like a list of things I'll, I like to do in relation to my art. Some of them happen, others uh, not so much. But I think it's just a good way to keep track of my thinking process. So it's an incredibly powerful tool for me. Yeah, it really feels like that. It feels like language as well is also really, really vital for you and kind of operating on lots of different levels. And, you know, you mentioned your aphorisms and obviously the way that you sort of annotate work and collaboration and and your books and mm. it feels like it's it's it goes beyond like a communication device it feels like it's like a method of confessing or maybe contradicting ideas or sort of and it's also this kind of entry point to your humor but also your vulnerability it's mm. kind of doing so many things at the same time and this relationship between language and meaning is also this kind of important life force in mm. your work and the way that you sort of unravel things and sort of destabilize things it feels like language is your kind of mark in which makes your work so unique and distinctively you and I wondered you know how you think about language and if if for you it is a way to disrupt or destabilize kind of your work mm. and how you're thinking about it um, yeah, I think language is really important. I think the fact, I mean, it's pretty obvious that English is not my first language because of the way I speak. And I think that, you know, that on the one side, it does, you know, uh, English not being my first language uh, gives me a great tool because I can look at the English language as an outsider, which I think is always uh, very exciting. You know, it's almost like visiting a new city where you are not from, uh, where things are just different and you can just look at it with fresh eyes. And I I don't know, I just kind of came to really understand English and be able to write English when I was a teenager. And obviously it's you know, the way you look at the language is always going to be different than if you're a native speaker. So that's for one part. But also, I guess I feel very insecure or I feel a certain disadvantage when compared to native speakers at the same time. So I guess writing really help, helps me to refocus my message. So I think when I have the time to rationalize my thoughts, spend some time thinking what it is that I really want to say and pick the right words, I think that really ha helps me and it makes me feel way more prepared. 
So, you know, it's something very interesting. I don't think that if perhaps I have uh, stayed uh, in Spain, where I come from, and I kept using Spanish my whole life, I don't think that my interest in, you know, in, in, in words <laughs> will be as big as it is now. I wanted to talk a little bit about how multifaceted your practice is and, and it and it's actually always continuing to expand but at the core for a while it has been you know photography painting and text and I wondered why this multi-platform way of working is so generative for you. I just really like trying new things. I don't think that my thing is just mastering just one thing you know and i don't think of myself as a master of photography a master of painting or you know a master of writing actually i you could say that i'm quite bad at all those things on a technical level at least you know if it works is definitely not because i'm a master of using oil paints or i'm a master of using acrylics or i'm a master of lighting photographs i think that uh, perhaps it works because of the way I feel things, the way I, I see the work, and how important it is for me to uh, find a physical form for all those uh, feelings, all those ideas. And, you know, I just don't see myself as photographing every day, and I don't see myself like painting every day. But I do see myself trying new things and, you know, doing this thing all the time. If I stop making art, you know, like if, if I decide to spend a day watching TV, which I do sometimes, I do always have a little bit of this uh, feeling of guilt, perhaps, that I like, oh, I could be drawing, I could be, you know, doing doing something with all these ideas. Um, I know that, you know, that is a little bit of a problem, not being able to stop, but at the same time, uh, not stopping and keeping trying all these new things where it, where it is, you know, I don't know, making a crazy object with foam <laughs> trash or uh, embroidering a sailor jacket. Those things uh, keep me alive, you know, and... I know that there are a lot of talks. Uh, I mean, I listen to a lot of uh, mental health podcasts and, you know, I do therapy and all those things. And um, people keep repeating to me how important it is to stop and do other things different than your practice. And, you know, when when <laughs> when I make a big effort and I, and I stop working, I can see the positive results. But the reality that is that in the back of my head is like, oh, you know, instead of uh, watching this movie, maybe I could, you know, I could be trying to make a little short movie myself. I always have this feeling that whatever other people are doing, I just feel like I want to try it myself. I want to experience it, everything from, you know, from cooking a meal to making a movie to doing a painting to doing a sculpture. I'm just very aware that as far as we know, we only live once and I want to try as many things as possible while I'm alive. Yeah, I love that. Such good energy. <laughs> <laughs> when we talked before, you shared that your process and your kind of practice is very intuitive. It's not 
this planned out endeavor and you've got a much more instinctive way of working that kind of reveals itself to you in the process of you doing or making as you kind of just described and I wondered how you've cultivated the courage to kind of trust in that process because it's Mm. not always it's not always easy yeah it's very difficult I mean and sometimes I you know I have anxieties as everyone what is my messy way of creating or my you know uh, my messy way of jumping from one thing to another and not having like a very clear schedule. What if this is not working one day for me? What if, if my art is not any good, you know, because I haven't specialized on photography or I haven't specialized in painting and I have become the best painter out there or the best photographer out there. There is a lot of anxiety on that. But then, you know, I think that, what gives me hope is that, you know, I try really hard for this. I'm very sure that this is how I want to spend uh, my life and doing what I do, you know, and spending time painting, photographing, writing, doing all those uh, things. And actually, it might look very messy, but I'm a very disciplined individual when it comes to, you know, when when the shit get real as they say you know when I have an exhibition when I have a book coming up uh you know I just sit down and get it done and I think that always plays all my benefit I like to finish what I start sometimes I don't finish it in one month nor in one year but pretty much I finish everything that I set myself uh, to do unless I realize that it's not worth it in the process. I wanted to talk to you about exhibiting because when we spoke last time you talked a lot about how it's such an important part of the process for you and it's almost in exhibiting the work that you understand the work better. Could mm. you talk talk a little bit about that? I love uh, exhibitions and I love setting up exhibitions and you know I like uh, arranging spaces. A good friend of mine who is um, an artist representative at a really big agency at the time she really wanted to help me and participate on you know whatever it was that I was doing so she said you know I can help you to get hotel room that you can turn into your own gallery show and that was uh, amazing. It took a really long time to convince someone uh, to give me a hotel room because anyways, what was I, um, you know, I was just a graduating artist student and they probably thought I was crazy and I just wanted to trash their room. But <laughs> <laughs> I managed to get a really cool suite in Café Royale, um, this hotel that is just in central London. And I don't think I ever had so much time, uh, so much fun as uh, with this one show. It was just a living space. It was really, really big. Uh, It was like a little, more than a hotel room, it felt more like a little central London, a very fancy apartment. And I, I, more than the experience of opening the show and having people come and see it, I was just fascinated about having this room that I could, you know, decorate and use uh, all the art I had around. And also I could create a story within the space. So I created this fictional story that I had two twins brothers (laughs) and that the show was by the three of us. And I made the whole house uh, look 
like three twins or triplets uh, were living there. And, you know, all the art was about these three brothers. And I actually told the press that I have twin brothers. And someone, sometime later, I was, I think I was looking for a studio manager. And someone messaged me and said, you guys are three. Why don't you get one of the brothers to to be in charge of the studio? Real thing. Someone texted me this on Instagram. <laughs> and I felt really happy because I thought like, oh, well, that was successful. People actually believe that, uh, you know, I, I will put pictures on my Instagram of the three of us that obviously were just my friends covering their faces, a little bit of Photoshop. It was really fun. But um, anyways, that just goes to say that having a space to arrange is one of my biggest uh, fascination. And then I love having shows in, <laughs> you know, traditional art galleries, but I love it when I have the freedom to change the space. I just like it uh, when, you know, art lives in an actual space. I'm more interested on an artist's studio than in their show. You know, I'm more interested in the process that goes into making any art piece than how beautiful it looks when it's finished. And I think the best way to have access to that work is by accessing the artist's studio. But I also love exhibitions, so I just think, uh, think, isn't it possible to kind of like try and move the artist's studio to the exhibition space? And that's why, you know, every time, whenever I have a show, um, there is always like a little cabinet where at least I can show some of my uh, notebooks, uh, some of, you know, the pictures that I'm looking at when I'm painting. And in many of my shows... Um, the experience has been more, you know, it's still a traditional photography and painting show, but I try to make it a little bit more, I think the word, the word is interactive. I wouldn't normally use that word to describe my work because, you know, it's not like the Kusama Infinity Room or anything like that. It doesn't make, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not asking my audience to participate, but I'm asking my audience to imagine themselves in a different world. I don't want them to feel that they are seeing art in a gallery. I want them to feel that they are accessing a different world out of, you know, it's not, I don't want my art to just be, you know, a painting on a wall. I'm more interested about everything else next to that painting on a wall. And I think that's why installation is so, you know, um, sequencing and, and installations are so important because there is way more to the work than the work itself. Yeah, I love that idea of collapsing that boundary between where the work is made and where the work is shown because it's actually all one, right? It's all it's all interconnected and arguably more context is around the work and more connections can be made when you are in a space which kind of feels more true to kind of you and who you are rather than that sort of diluted or or sort of clinical space of the sort of white cube if you like. I actually was curious to ask you a little bit about your commercial work because one thing that I think is really interesting about what you do is your commercial work and your personal work is quite symbiotic. Mm -hmm. The work feels like it contains so much of you despite the context which is pretty rare in fashion. It's changing. I think there's more of a collapse now between art and fashion than Mm -hmm. there ever has been but you know in some ways maybe it's 
well, you don't, I was going to say it's hard to distinguish what is personal and what is Mm. commercial in your work, but actually, you know, that's part of it. You kind of show a lot of it together at the same time. And I think in many ways, your fashion work is as much about kind of contemporary fashion photography as it is an example of it. Mm. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit about your relationship to fashion and this way you think about it in terms of collapsing these boundaries between personal and, and commercial. Yeah, I just think that, you know, these structures and these differentiations between commercial uh, work uh, work and, you know, what is considered your real practice, fine art practice, I think they only exist because we live in a capitalist society and we need to identify what people are doing for which end. But I think that in the head of many artists, uh, that distinction doesn't really exist, uh, meaning that most artists love why they do. They enjoy spending time in the studio. They love going out there, taking a picture. Um, for many of them, it doesn't matter so much if uh, you know this picture is being done for someone else or a campaign or for, you know, advertising than if it's done for gallery. And, you know, I think that, I mean, the problem comes when, you know, when you don't have a lot of freedom to do what you want to do because you have to meet someone else's briefing. But I do think that even in those cases, it's an interesting challenge to work with that, you know, limitation. So let's make someone... I, I think many times let's make someone that, you know, have a different taste to to my taste, like what I'm going to do, or let's make it work with these uh, limitations. In relation to uh, my personal experience, I started doing fashion photography because uh, I was broke. I mean, not that I was broke, I just, you know, I never had money uh <laughs> when i moved <laughs> to london uh my parents are uh very middle class people in spain with spanish salaries which will never pay the living costs of uh, an a student living in london and i had to make it work for myself i didn't have uh that you know security that my bills will be paid or that i could even uh, e- ever stay in London if I didn't work. And uh, so I thought, you know, when I started, I never even thought of the possibility of selling my photographs or selling my paintings. I was still really far from all that. That was something that I did as a hobby and something that I liked doing, but uh, not something that I did for earning a living. So I thought, you know, maybe I can become a fashion photographer. Uh, Maybe I can offer my services and do what I like doing the most to someone else that is in need of photographs. And in that moment in time, making, you know, doing fashion photography served that purpose very well. But also, you know, I never really thought that I will have so much freedom and that my work will be admired and respected in that industry and that I will meet a lot of inspiring 
people to work with, uh, from creative directors, stylists, uh, set designers. I don't think that kind of work really exists outside of commercial photography. I feel like when you do fine art photography, I mean, you have big productions. Uh, sometimes, you know, if you're a photographer like, I don't know, Ryan Magilli, um, he does get, you know, a super production to make like these incredible uh, photographs in incredible landscapes and they probably invest a lot of money on you know bringing up a group of fancy models to jump around Mm. naked in the in the countryside and i think that is amazing but in my case when you know the when you take when you use the full production is normally paid by a fashion brand or you know there is always an advert behind and I always thought that it was a great opportunity to try and express what I had to say. And I didn't really have any other outlet because back then I wasn't, you know, I wasn't doing exhibitions. I mean, I was trying and I was in a few group shows and things like that. But I didn't think of myself as a fine artist because this fine art or however you want to call it is something that I just did on my free time and I did for for myself so you know I will put all my energy and all my enthusiasm in these uh, fashion campaigns and fashion projects which you know at the time it also caused me a little bit of uh, conflict because I used to take it very personal uh, you know if they didn't like what I was doing or, you know, if they didn't choose the picture that I like, I just thought that they didn't understand my vision or that perhaps I wasn't expressing uh, my vision to my best. And I hadn't realized that, you know, the goal wasn't making the perfect photograph, that in many cases the goal is selling and in many cases the goal is to show people what they want to see and not what you (laughs) want them to see. And Mm -hmm. I guess this is the tension in the commercial world. But now that I have uh, an outlet for my more personal work, when I can do my paintings and I can do my slightly um, strangest photograph, if you want to call it that way, I feel so much better in my commercial practice because I understand what is the ultimate goal of the project. And I have also learned to, you know, domesticate my ideas, uh, learning to get to compromise with, you know, brands and you know, whoever is paying for the production for these photographs, you know, I just never saw doing advertising. I mean, I I saw it as a way of obviously making money and paying my bills, but the ultimate goal wasn't to make money. I always wanted to do a really cool photograph. I wanted to do my best and I wanted to show the people who were hiring me to do that that um, they can trust me and that I was able to put their ideas into a photograph. And now I keep doing that and, you know, I have another outlet for my most crazy ideas or for uh, the things that maybe are too string and radical, um, perhaps, uh, you know, uh, fancy brands don't dare to use in their fashion or in their advertising and I think it's great to have uh, you know 
these two outlets and try my best in both words. You're listening to The Messy Truth, conversations on photography. Let's talk a little bit about your new work, Navy. And where I wanted to start was kind of talking to you about water, um, because obviously the work looks at the ocean and the Navy and you as a swimmer and someone who, you know, spent time growing up on the coast. I'm curious if you could talk a little bit about your relationship with water, because it feels so fundamental in your practice. Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, I grew up uh, <laughs> in a swimming pool, pretty much. I started to do synchronized swimming when I was probably six years old. And I did this for a really long time. I had sort of a perhaps traumatic relationship with the swimming pool. I love swimming. You know, I love synchronized swimming. I love the sport. But uh, the girls in the mm, swimming pool didn't really like me. So I was always confronted between these words of um, what do what is more important to me, being liked and treated uh, fairly by the people who are around me or doing a sport that I love. And I was quite a quiet child, um, so I never really told to anyone about uh, my conflict back then. And also, you know, when you, you are a kid, you just don't want to be, you just don't want to accept that, um, you know, you are the the, the bullet uh, kid in the group. So uh, that had a huge impact in my life. And I never realized it at the time. But, you know, I did synchronize swimming perhaps until I was uh, 14. And then I moved into a different city uh, where I couldn't do synchronized swimming anymore because there wasn't a team. And in a very <laughs> profound level, uh, after I left the swimming pool, I was still constantly dreaming that I was training there. And, you know, every single night I will dream that I was swimming after, you know, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't do it anymore. Uh, I think it was, you know, a sign of my frustration at the time about, you know, never being able to become friends with these girls who treated me so badly. But also, uh, you know, when you spend so much time in water, uh, I will train three and four hours a day. And in weekends, I will literally spend the whole weekend in the swimming pool pretty much. And um, when you spend so much time doing something and then you um, stop straight away, I think your brain just goes, I don't know, in my case, it will just go back to it when, when I went to sleep. And the funny part is that I left that swimming pool, but I moved to a city with sea. So I stopped going to the pool, but I will ride my bike every day uh, to go to school uh, by the, you know, um, the seaside. And I will, in the summer, I remember I will wake up very early in the morning and I will go to the, to the sea just to swim uh, all by myself. And I felt, you know, I might have been 15, uh, 16. And that was, you know, that was for me, I don't know, my first experience of freedom and independence like I could go and swing in the sea by myself you know I didn't have to depend on anyone I wasn't trapped in a swimming pool anymore um it was just me and the sea and there wasn't that pressure that I had in the swimming pool 
And I just found that very liberating, you know, and I think that had a huge influence in in my work and on what the sea means to me now. I think it represents this, you know, this space where I can just be myself and I don't have to depend on anyone else and I can just float in there and just do my thing. Yeah, the project's this real kind of culmination of sort of thematics and and also chromatic influences that have been building in your work for a long time. And and the project includes images and paintings and writing and found items and found photography and also items that you've customised, like the Navy uniforms. And it feels so expansive and, and really free, kind of similar to what you were just describing. I wondered if this project kind of marked an important moment for you in your practice. Absolutely. Um, I think of this show as the show that I was always wanted to make and I never dare doing or I never have the time mm-hmm. to do. I think my trajectory, I feel very lucky, but I also feel like my trajectory as an artist in regards to the, you know, artwork and how things operate is being very different to that of other artists because I first had sort of like created a name because of uh, the work that I did in the fashion industry. And then I realized that, you know, I didn't want it to be that. I didn't want to be a fashion photographer. I wanted to try other things. And I started to go away from that. But uh, thanks to some of the collaborations I have done in the commercial world, I think uh, many people who wouldn't have normally seen my work show my work. And uh, because of this impact, I've been given... um, you know, uh, museum shows at a very early age. Uh, you know, most artists have the first museum shows when they are way older than I am or they have a retrospective or something like that. I never, you know, I, I never wanted to call these shows a, a retrospective because, well, I think I'm too young to have a retrospective. But that means that, uh, you know, when you do a... a a show in a museum is very different to when you do a show in a gallery because a museum is a very serious institution. They have a very specific audience. It needs to, your work needs to be understood uh, by all the, you know, uh, most of the people that come to see it, but it also needs to work for them. Well, when you do a show in a gallery, there is not that pressure. While Navy is not being about... uh, you know, it's never been about thinking in which space the work are going to be shown uh, or how is it going to work with the audience. It's really being a body of work based on what I really wanted to do. And I haven't been so scared of making mistakes. You know, I know that some of the painting technically could be better, but I still felt like my spirit was pretty much there and I was really working to you know bring I don't know talk about you know what the sea for example meant to me in that moment in time and um, I just wanted to get all those feelings out. It's so important to have that outlet and that freedom I think as well you know we can get so entangled in 
capitalist agenda and structures and the ways and the pressures that we put on ourselves of how we should be in the work that we should be making, I think is so vital to try and find this space of freedom that is expansive for you. I wanted to ask you about the title of the show, because it's this playoff between navy and naivety. How did Mm. you kind of come to that? Well, uh, normally I have a really clear idea of how I want to call a show. I remember Max at, you know, Maximilian William, uh, my gallery in London. He called me so many times asking me what was the title of the show going to be because he needed it for press. And I was like, I, I'm not really sure. And, <laughs> uh, you know, I just was playing with all these words that I thought would resonate. Uh, I, I had in my in my mind deep navy, only uh, navy as the color. And and then, you know, I just thought of the combination of naive and navy uh, because I think they are uh, two uh, really good words to this, describe my work. I think in many cases my work is uh, very naive, and I think uh, navy as a color is really present, but it also was full of sailors, so it was also the navy as the um, military structure. So, yeah, I thought it was a good combination. And also I wanted to do a game with words, which is, you know, is something that I I really enjoy doing. So, I don't know, I just felt that maybe was the right word. I was a little bit insecure at the beginning. I thought maybe people won't get it or, you know, maybe it's too much of an easy trick. But many people like it, or at least that's what they tell me. But, you know, most yeah. people won't come and tell me, oh, I hate the name of your show. You could have thought of something <laughs> better. I don't have that honest uh, critics around me. I really like it. <laughs> well, um, <I'm> glad. <laughs> <laughs> and, and as you kind of touched upon, part of the work is about the Lost Navy, which is this sort of fantasy community that you created, which feels really joyful and optimistic. Um, I wondered if you could talk a little bit about how the Lost Navy kind of came into being and what it symbolizes for you. Yeah, I think the uh, lost sailors, as I call them, um, you know, uh, symbolizes uh, my wanted to be comfortable in not belonging anywhere. That's a really long answer. But <laughs> I just always feel that, you know, because of all we discussed before, you know, my language, having moved to London when I was really young, but also, you know, I wasn't young enough as to begin at 100% English-made person. Um, I just feel like uh, at the same time, you know, I don't really fit uh, in Spain either. And I think that happens a lot in a lot of uh, parts of my life, also in more personal uh, parts, like, you know, what is my gender or what is my sexual orientation? And I always feel like I don't have a very precise answer to all these questions. I just find it very hard to comfort to one of the many categories that you know there are out there and I feel like you know in the same way that we were discussing before how society and capitalism you know uh, make us uh, take certain decisions and tax us in 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 a specific ways you know in the same way that you either make fine art or you make commercial work and I feel that this is just like a distinction that uh, people make. Uh, 
only because of capitalism and the need of, you know, uh, telling other people how you sell your work. I think that there is this need in every single aspect of our lives. And, you know, I never really, I don't like making those choices. I just want to be who I want to be today. And I feel that Navy uh, was about that, about, you know, being comfortable or not being any of these uh, things. I find myself saying this a lot, but to myself on the podcast, when I'm writing or working or anything or to other people, I just, I feel like so much of this is about learning to be comfortable in the discomfort of life in that Mm. you don't know where you're going in the unknown, like, look. Yeah, that's kind of what it's about. And we're so used to and sort of deeply embedded in this binary um, society that we can't, you know, that that terrifies us, the thought of not knowing. And it's Mm. just, yeah, it's something we really need to break out of. I think especially in the context of making creative work, it's really damaging. Mm. And I, I meet so many young photographers who like have this distinct plan and, you know, there's an element of that I think if it brings you comfort then fine but you've got to learn to move and and trust in the process and go with the flow Mm. and kind of be more intuitive about what you're doing because I think that's where we get to the most sort of exciting and surprising and freeing things to your point Um, absolutely I mean I just feel as well that I you know I understand why young photographers might want to have it all figured out because you know I just think you know I was want one of these young photographers trying to have like a very structured idea of what I wanted to do with my work and my life but it wasn't because I wasn't able to be more more free you know perhaps I wasn't able to be more free because I had so much pressure because Mm -hmm. you know I had to make money that's a reality not because I wanted to be rich just because I wanted to survive in a city that gave me so much you know uh, coming from a small town in another country you don't get that sort of the sort of freedom that you get in London and you know that's a reality you have to live with but I think as you become older maybe you can hope that things are gonna keep going well or okay for you and that is fine sometimes to you know take a step back and try it again or try something that maybe people don't get at first but hopefully they will get it later or maybe they never get it but you know you do enough things as for some of them to be understood and some of the other things you are just doing for yourself or because it's part of your process and that's fine but it is a very scary I mean, I think Mm. most young photographers, I have lots of, you know, there are many, many young photographers who send me emails and who ask me things like from I want to intern in your studio to, um, you know, um, how was your experience in Royal College? Do I have to go there to become like you or to, you know, to do the kind of work that you do? And I think, oh gosh, like I'm so far away to considering that I have made it, that I'm in a comfortable position in my life. (laughs) I wake up every day thinking, what if this, not every day, but often I think like, what if I'm not able to do anything good uh, anymore? Or what if my work doesn't progress, you know? It just really fascinates me how for younger people, they think that I have it figured out. And I think the truth is that you never fully figure it out, that you just go along the way. 
that's why I feel sometimes really, you know, intimidated uh, when they ask me for for tips and things like mm-hmm. that. It's not that I don't want to answer. I'm not, you know, I'm not an arrogant. Um, I don't think I'm, you know, an arrogant chick that I don't want to to share my process or or want to help other people. I just don't know. I just don't know what is going to work for you and also I don't know what is going to even work for me it's funny that you describe that because that's exactly why I started this podcast because I've been interviewing people for years and working with photographers for years across loads of different contexts and what was always consistent and always blew my mind for like the first at least I don't know seven or eight years that I was working in this industry was that everybody was in the same boat everybody had this sense of like unknowingness and this sort of stress or anxiety around it you know one minute it felt great and the next minute you didn't know if you were going to get another job and that was universal it didn't matter Mm. really if you were really successful I've interviewed enormously successful artists you know later in their life and they still feel the same that's kind of what motivates the work that's kind of what keeps them going and keeps forcing them to like uh, you know, reimagine their practice and push forward. And that's, yeah, that's exactly why I wanted to bring a bit of transparency around these conversations, because mm. you're right, everybody everybody feels the same. There may, you know, certain people might have different privileges and certain people, you know, when you're starting out, it's a whole different ball game. But I think that we're all universally in this sort of shared experience of making creative work, Absolutely. which is really daunting. You also recently published a book for Navy and and publishing feels like it's always been such an important part of your work I was curious if you could talk a little bit about the book platform and kind of what it offers you Um, that maybe other things don't yeah I love making books um you know I love sequencing books and especially photography books they're so much fun to do because you can just tell a completely different story uh, depending on how you sequence your image, images and what you are trying to say with your images. You know, I think of um, images and photographs as, you know, um, almost like language. And, you know, if you structure a book, uh, um, a written book, uh, uh, a way or another, it will, you know, it can tell a completely different story. I make uh, or try to make lot of books uh some of them you know uh if you've seen it all for example is only mm-hmm. um text based and that was a really fun exercise especially because at the time um i think i had uh, there another two books but they were photography based and i thought you know uh choose commune is a um, photography publisher in paris um and the 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 lady who runs it uh cecile who became uh, a friend in all this process and you know she was really helpful I think that it was strange to publish like uh, words visual words I don't know how I will describe my writing because you know you have to see it it's not the same thing as I type it in a computer but it was kind of uh, weird to put uh, text in a photography publishing uh, business Um, but that's what we did back then and it was really fun I had to go through my diaries for the last 10 years which I'll say was also painful because you relieve uh, so many moments that you thought you were completely over with and you are like oh my god I'm still there you know I still have these insecurities that was really fun but in the um, 
in terms of uh, visual books or artist books, um, yeah, as I said, it's very it's very fun to play with uh, only images and not text to tell this story. In the case of Navy, um, it's been um, it's been a completely new experience for me because the book was designed by In Other Works and OKRM. So OKRM is this uh, fantastic uh, London-based uh, design studio, or at least I understand it like that, even though they do way more uh, things that, you know, just design. I've been meeting up uh, quite a little bit with Rory, who is one of the guys who runs the studio. And we always have these very inspiring art talks. And I just love uh, meeting him and discussing art with him. But uh, the Navy book project was completely put in their hands. They designed the book. I didn't have a set uh, for a really long time. And it was a really good exercise for me because normally I'm such a control freak. And I design everything myself and I add my writing. And, you know, it's normally everything has to be my way. and. It was so good uh, to kind of let go and see how, you know, how someone else will structure my own work. And it was a really good exercise to see the book when it was made. I trust that the works that you see in this book will resonate with you and explain you the story behind, but I don't need to justify it or I don't need to mm-hmm. explain it. Like maybe that's, that's something that the audience can do by themselves. So it just feels like a very uh, natural transition. You know, it's a very um, natural way of becoming more mature and becoming more confident in the work. And, you know, hoping that the work will speak for itself. I wanted to finish up by asking you the question that I ask everybody at the end of the show. And that's what matters more to you, the process of making the work or the final work itself? Uh, Definitely the process of making the work. Yeah, I thought you might say that. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I mean, it's nice when you when you say it's finished and you're like oh gosh that's it's finally down I don't have to fight with that anymore but I think if there wasn't that all that fighting to get there even the finished piece wouldn't be so so meaningful to you if they just do everything else for you and you don't you know then what's the point like yeah looks beautiful looks great but Mm. I don't feel it like mine so definitely the process, 100%. Oh, well, thank you so much for being on the show today, Coco. It was really great of to speak course. to you. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to The Messy Truth. You can find more information about today's guests in the show notes. Theme music is changed by Judd Greenstein from the album Awake and design is by Ruby White. You can follow updates on the podcast on my Instagram at Jem Fletcher or subscribe to my newsletter at jemfletcher.com. Feel free to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love 
and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.